on my podcast. I feel weird to say that every single time. And I'm here with Dr. Paige. Um, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, actually, it's it's not quite doctor. Not there yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Um, professor Paige Works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, recent, recently a professor, actually. It's kind of a career change from being a healthy singer. I bet. Uh, Did that, your t- was, was your title in... Colorado. Colorado. Uh, it okay. was it was Missouri before Colorado. Oh, okay, okay. Um, you can go ahead and tell me like you know the oh. family where you're from, what you do. Okay. Oh, with your profession. I'll do the I'll yeah. do the whole intro there. Yeah. yeah. Um, married. I've uh, been married for ten years. Got three kiddos. Um, nine, eight, and almost four now. And uh, and a Bernadoodle and a cat running around. Bernadoodle. Uh, Bernie's Mountain Dog and Poodle. So you got that tricolor black white brown um, thing going on. Um, but yeah, he's a lot of fun. Coyotes. And um, let's see. Uh, professionally, um, I uh, finished up grad school at Denver Seminary in 2010, and from there went to um, work at a, a residential treatment center. Mm-hmm. We specialized in reactive attachment disorder. Um, so vast majority of our kiddos were um, adopted from overseas orphanages Um, so there's a lot of early childhood abuse and neglect going on there Um, so we did that um, we did attachment based therapy um, to specifically um, go after that issue of of trust with the the parents or lack of trust and um, we had a, a big canine therapy Oh, on wow. the property. Okay. Yeah, and then um, after two and a half years of that, got burnt out because it's residential. Yeah. And um, so wait, yeah. you lived in that place, or that it was just like? Um, no, I didn't. Place. I didn't live in the residential center. Yeah. Um, but but worked there. Um, so it was like a, a yeah, because I've call. I've heard like when people work there, at least for when, um, Doctor Brock talks about it, that it's like very full time, very you know training i guess or just yeah yeah and, and you're working with like a a high intensity clientele yeah. so you know you'll be home for the weekends in your trauma room and like hey your client is suicidal we can get them into the hospital and you need to do that so you're gotcha. working that so you're kind of on call like all <coughs> week yes yes you're always on call that's good like yeah so you always have your phone on you um yeah. which is part of the week for some of that yeah um so yeah left that and uh tried to start a private practice that my wife still runs. She's, a, she's also a therapist. And um, for about seven years, um, was a uh, kind of a liaison um, between a large mental health center and a local school district. So um, um, would help smooth things over whenever there were issues, you know, between two large organizations mm-hmm. and could respond to crises that would happen in the school um, like the death of a student. Attended a lot of meetings where we discussed tough cases and kind of mm-hmm. gave my two cents for how things should proceed. Right, like professional advice. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, from there, um, tried to uh, help start up a residential center. So was a clinical director for about a year, um, building the program. And then a little before opening, all the financing fell through. 
and they're like, hey, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. And then uh, CSB kind of landed in my lap. Oh. And so here I am now. Cool. So was it kind of the transition with your entire family? Was it kind of difficult or more so easy since, like, I guess you said your wife took over the private practice? Yeah, the um, the transition out to here, you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, um, yeah, it, it was pretty good because she was able to kind of continue her practice. Um, she's, she did a lot of um, meetings virtually anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for continuity of care, she kept some of her clients mm-hmm. just because it's not really fair to the client just to drop them because yeah. they're moving. Um, okay. But, yeah, she still does that. That's good. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll go into the first question, which okay. is um, why did you decide to work in the field that you do? Specifically, I'm guessing from what I already know, children and trauma settings. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of a two-parter. Why, why, why psychology? Uh, and then why that specifically? Um, yeah, psychology was, that, I mean, that goes back to high school, right? I, I was a pretty good student, but mm-hmm. I didn't really love any of the classes. Yeah. Like, I don't see myself like really going into science or, you know, I'm a good writer, but I don't want to do English. Um, and then I took a, a psychology class in, in uh, high school, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a thing. That's cool. I was the same way. Uh, yeah, here you go. And um, so, yeah, did, did undergrad and um, didn't know what to do after that. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of through a couple of coincidences, ended up working at a, a residential kind of um, discipline. And um, that kind of cemented this idea that, hey, I want to do therapy. This is mm-hmm. like a thing. Um, and, and I liked working with adolescents at, at that center. And then specifically the um, the trauma piece was just kind of um, something that just happened to be along the river of life. A- after yeah. after grad school, I got a call um, through you know kind of a, a friend of a friend through my network and said, "Hey, we're looking for a therapist at this residential center, and we specialize in early childhood trauma. Is that something you'd be into?" And I'm like, "Well, as a unemployed recent grad i'm into anything all right um and so that that kind of set me off on that direction and i've been here ever since nice and you've enjoyed it so far like the something that you would want to stay in yeah yeah i i I definitely enjoy that population Mm um you know it's it's interesting that you know i'm not doing this like actual therapy but you know actually pleasantly surprised i really enjoy teaching yeah. Um, just just interacting with the, the subject in, in a different way, you know, passing along stuff I've learned through you yeah. know, examination courses. Yeah, it is always fun. So how has working in those settings impacted you personally and maybe the like way you talk to people in your family? Like all the stuff you know, uh, since you are teaching <coughs> RIT and sexuality class, mm-hmm. like all the knowledge you have from that and trauma and just kids in general. Um, yeah, in terms of human sexuality and, like, how, how I would approach that with my own kids, is that your follow-up? Well, um, like, how has working in those settings kind of maybe, like, changed the way you've approached interactions with people or, like, how you talk to people and stuff like that? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I think it helped me, especially in terms of kind of understanding where 
you talking about like super people mm-hmm. um just and just hearing kind of the um the really hard stories and understanding where um people's behavior comes from mm-hmm. that it's not generally they're just um malicious people you know they're they act out of a place of hurt mm-hmm. um so yeah d- definitely like the more I've I've kind of learned that in school but also just in general realizing like a lot of the most hurt people I've interacted with in life are the ones like who've been through the most hurt Mm -hmm. and like it definitely has helped me like to have more empathy and remind myself when I get like you know kind of fed Mm -hmm. up with their behavior I'm like okay like I have to show them empathy regardless and also set boundaries Mm -hmm. because that's like that's important yeah, it, it is interesting on, on kind of the same track but a different level of being a therapist or somebody who like is studying psychology. It changes your relationship with how you interact with people when they find out what you do. Yeah. Um, like, you, you know, you might be kind of making small talk with a person and, mm-hmm. and, and they're like, oh, what, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm a therapist. And they're like, oh, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> about that's like, this that's their first reaction to like kind of jump on you yeah yeah there's um and, and not necessarily about their own life but you know everybody has a story of like oh yeah. you know th- this person in my life yeah. and man you know my husband really needs to talk to you kind of thing yeah um so so there is always uh that for sure yeah that's interesting because i think the reaction i'm used to getting at least from like my like, because I go home a lot with my parents and my Nana, and, like, there's some people that come over, like, older generation that knows my dad and knows my Nana, mm-hmm. and, like, they'll be like, oh, we don't need that, because, like, I'm from, like, a very traditional Christian family, mm-hmm. not saying that's a bad thing, um, but, like, the reactions I get is, like, you know, like, you just need God, kind of like that whole mm. dialogue. For, for somebody who is struggling, that's their... Yeah. Reaction yeah. Like. There's at least like this one person which you're like, ah, I don't believe in that. Like, I don't oh, like I don't believe in therapy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel yeah. like I've maybe I've been exposed to that more often, so that's what. But I've definitely mm-hmm. actually felt the whole like people, not even like, um, like knowing I'm a counseling major, but just mm-hmm. like I guess the way I come off has been like maybe comforting, and they will unconsciously like tell me. Yeah. go on a rant and I'm sitting there and I'm like oh I don't know if I can emotionally handle this yeah <laughs> so yeah. I try to set boundaries with that it, it does it does kind of change your relationships in that sense and mm-hmm. I, I remember it, it changed my relationship with my, my parents uh, mm-hmm. a bit like I remember I think it was when I was in grad school or recently finished where they would ask me questions because they didn't know mm-hmm. like not not just like make small talk but yeah. like Hey, you're you're the expert. I'm I'm coming to you because I don't know. Yeah. And it was this weird, like, kind of like dynamic, quite power shift, yeah. but dynamic shift of like, oh, I'm I'm the expert, and my parents are not. That's yeah, yeah. I feel like that's kind of what I'm going through with my own mom right now because she's like trying to raise my sister like as best she can. And last night I had a whole conversation. It was just like, <laughs> like by the time I was done, my friend, like my roommate. I took off my headphones. She was like, you were spitting some wisdom. And I was like, yeah. oh, Lord, <laughs> I don't even know. 
Um, but it's like from all, but also it's not only from school, but I just do like my own research just because of my pure like interest. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, what would you say is the hardest part about the work that you do with the children and their families? specifically talking about um, working with kids and adolescents um, because you can do great work with them like in the office one-on-one but if you don't do work with the parents as well you're just kind of sending them back Mm -hmm. into this environment that's not supportive of what you're working on Um, and so some of the issues I've run into I mean you you want to kind of integrate the whole family into therapy so mm-hmm. you'll, you'll do individual sessions and you'll do like a family session for the parents there and trying to um, coach some parents for this is how you need to talk to you know mm-hmm. your son or daughter mm-hmm. and you know this is so these are the questions you're going to ask and this is how they're going to respond and this is how I need you to respond like mm-hmm. don't focus on the behavior like yeah. just do empathy um because for for a lot of parents and a lot of people, you know, we, we want to fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to not get them to fix things, yeah. you know, just focus on the relationship because that's mm-hmm. what heals the individual. Um, that's that's how we're going to heal. Yeah. And then and then the other hard piece is just the emotional toll hearing horrible stuff every day takes on you. I yeah. Yeah. I think about how like I'm getting really interested in the crisis and trauma therapy mm-hmm. and when I talk to people I'm like this can only be God because there's no way me as a person would want to go down into such a field that's so demanding mm-hmm. and I truly believe that it's only God that put like that kind of interest on in my heart yeah yeah and, and even people who are called to it it's it's still difficult I mean mm-hmm. it, you know I mean that's why it's 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 so hard to work That, that truly understand, like, their struggle mm-hmm. and how you meet kids and go through lunch at the end of the day and you're like, oh, my gosh, you would not believe, like, this this story that I'm, I'm needing to, mm-hmm. like, process for this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the self-care is yeah. really important. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, already it's hard. As a college student, try to <coughs> practice self-care so I don't. Mm-hmm. So that I, it's definitely, like, really important if you can't take care of yourself how are you you supposed to work with clients so Mm -hmm. that's really good um for parents trying to raise healthy independent children that have a healthy view of biblical sex and love what would your advice be for them yeah i think um that's that's a tricky one this Um, is not fair because that might be a long question yeah in in a nutshell i'll answer it as quickly as possible no, uh, I, I think I'd, I'd work to really strike the right balance of introducing it at like age appropriate levels mm-hmm. um, because if if you don't somebody else is yeah um, and you know I don't want you know to be the parent of the kids who, who finds out about the sex and they're just like oh god 
And at the same time, I don't want to introduce it so early that I yeah. make developmentally inappropriate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure I can elaborate on that in the next week. So what would you say is like the age you'd recommend for like the version of the irregular exercise? Yeah. Um, and in what kind of like environment? You know, like mm-hmm. would it be like you know comfort like you know what I mean? Not too serious, but not too like laid back. Right. On the spot. Um. Yeah. It, again, that's kind of tricky because I I feel like the birds and the beasts talk can happen you know several times at mm-hmm. different layers of like depth and kind of intensity. Yeah. That I'm not gonna talk to my nine year old about like kind of the the real intricate details yeah. of like this is how sex works mm-hmm. or you know. Um, but I, I, at the same time, I want to create an environment in my home where, you know, if you have a question, you can always come to mom and dad. Yeah. And they're going to talk about it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just creating that open environment that nothing is taboo. I'll talk right. about anything. I'm going to censor myself and, and talk about it appropriately, mm-hmm. you know, with my, you know, three-year-old or niece or my nine-year-old any differently when my nine-year-old is, you know, 13. feel like creating that safe space with like parents with their children is super important because if they can't mm-hmm. talk to you about anything they're gonna go somewhere else to explore and they'll find it yeah, yeah it's it's not, not hard not hard to find yeah especially yeah. with i mean the <clears throat> access that they also have with internet mm-hmm. at such a young age i mean <laughs> like in the past just few years i i would hear all the time like yeah like everybody in my like fourth third grade class has a phone i was like excuse me oh yeah yeah. That's insanity, right? That's yeah, a whole my, my kids thing. won't be getting phones for a while. Yeah. It's Only me. I could go on and on about <laughs> technology. It's a whole other podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so what do you believe happens in the average child's world, including Christian ones, that hinder a child's view of love, intimacy, and sex? like the most common things the most common thing that happens in like a home with what you know what parents do or what they bring in or stuff like that Mm -hmm. that can hinder their view um yeah i don't know the average because i feel like we kind of swing one of both ways that it's um not talked about at all Mm -hmm. and it's super taboo and you you don't get to ask questions about that Mm -hmm. Which is unhealthy, and then the other. I think the other end. Yeah, the the other end of the spectrum, I think, would be, you know, mom and dad not taking the the issue seriously enough, not not protecting the child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, issues of like little kids like finding like Playboy magazines or something, mm-hmm. um, and like learning about sex through inappropriate means um but yeah the the average household how they handle it um yeah i don't know it's a good question um yeah it's 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 been so sensitive 
<laughs> I need to start writing it down. Um. Oh yeah, I feel like parents, at, like some parents, at least maybe like Christian parents or not, sometimes have this view like it's gonna work itself out or like the school yeah. will handle it, which like. <clears throat> Yes, the school will handle it, but at I the mean, same they'd time, they'd be happy to handle it for you. Yeah. I know, right? yeah. but it's like, do you really want that? And I've seen this kind of. I I don't want to use ignorance, but it kind of is that ignorance where you're like, oh, I mean, they'll figure it out. And even like with parents who are Christians, it's like that shouldn't be your mindset. If you want mm-hmm. them, it's kind of ironic. It's like you want them to have this healthy view of biblical love and sex, but you're not the ones that were wanting to inform them. Yeah. Yeah, and and this is a, a fair question. Is why why are you not wanting to inform them? Like, what is yeah. what is kind of the hang up there? It's like um, will they make you uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's that's probably the most common reason of I don't want to talk to my kids about sex. Like yeah. that's awkward. But it's like if you have to get past that, you're the parent, you know. Yeah, yeah. At, at some point, you you need to be able to back off and be like, okay, I'm going to do something that pushes me out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. because I love my kids more than I love being comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you have to get to that point or, you know, somebody who is comfortable telling your kid about sex will. Or suffer the consequences. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what would you say is a leading factor when it comes to children that grow up to become sexually promiscuous? Because I know we talked about mm-hmm. in our class, like, very... Like, to all those, you know, one extreme side of the spectrum, all those sexual disorders, mm-hmm. there's a lot of causes like sexual <coughs> abuse and mm-hmm. child childhood sexual abuse and, I mean, a bunch of le- like factors. But I guess what would be a leading factor that you can, maybe even something you've seen in your own classes? Yeah. Um, gosh, it, I, I would guess sexual abuse. that's generally what we see with trauma anyway trauma bonds we see them in sexual trauma mm-hmm. um that it if you know it, it happens at an age where you're still kind of constructing your worldview and gosh i don't i don't even know what an intimate relationship is yeah. or what a safe relationship is and if that process gets hijacked real early on so early mm-hmm. that you know by the time you're in adolescence and adulthood you're you're so far apart from from healthy it it's hard to hold it back then yeah you just have more time to get down that path but yeah. if it happened in teenage years i mean mm-hmm. it could still lead to it but yeah and, and by the time you're in your teenage years you, you kind of have a, a better sense of this is right mm-hmm. and this is wrong and this is how the world works yeah so assaulted when I'm 13 I'm going to interpret that and process that differently than you know if I was you know molested at four mm-hmm. um, because I've had you know those those so many years in between to establish an understanding of relationships and, and how 
think it's supposed to work and how young it's supposed to work and how sexual contact is supposed to work. Yeah, you know, it's all so important. Like, like I've seen videos of how con- parents are taking this boundary and that education more seriously when the kid is even, like, two or three and saying, like, we are going to, you know, name – we're going to put, like, actual ends on her name so that way we can keep you safe and, like, mm-hmm. have actual boundaries and, you know, you're not going to keep – there's, you know, if an adult ever says, can you keep a secret, don't ever do that and mm-hmm. things like that. So it's been really yeah. good to see kind of that awareness now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's an, another hard conversation to have with a kid because you don't yeah. want to freak them out. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you, you do want them to be aware enough that, you know, it gets back to this this is a, a very open environment and communication system within the mm-hmm. home of, hey, if anybody tells you you're not allowed to tell me something, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you will never get in trouble for telling me something. Mm-hmm. You know, and just, just being really clear um, about that. And, like, you know, if anybody, you know, says, oh, you know, I'll hurt your daddy if you tell him, and he, like, baby, nobody's going to hurt him. Like, yeah. they need to be worried about being hurt by daddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, just making it very clear that this communication is safe, and I'm going to do everything I can in my power to keep it safe for mm-hmm. you because I love you. Yeah. And on the topic, I heard, uh, I think it was like Micah's Promise, which is an organization near here that work with children who have been sexually trafficked. And I met the founder, and she was talking about how, like, what's really crazy is, like, the kids, when this happens to them, it's not like the strangers that keep, like, people kind of have this idea that's doing it to them. It's Mm. closest, like, family, friends, you know, teachers, like, people around that child that have been able to get really close and i think that's like that's such a crazy fact and i feel like mm-hmm. not enough people know it yeah yeah that that for the the majority of the sexual assaults or and molestations or anything it's not this stranger danger thing yeah. it's you know this this person knows the family mm-hmm. um yeah the the residential center um we were, we were trying to build was was going to be specifically designed for kids coming out of sex trafficking Mm -hmm. um so that's that's a little different that you know um they are interacting with you know multiple multiple strangers um but it it wouldn't be like a a family friend or something but the the majority of cases are you know known Um, what are your personal thoughts on social media and its wide variety of sexual content in today's day and age? Yeah. Um, yeah, specifically about the sexual content on social media? Yes. Okay. Anything you want to um, talk about. I have a problem with social media. Yeah, like, me too. <laughs> I mean, I'm on social media, but, yeah. like, it's not, not the healthiest thing. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, the, the sexual content on social media, I think um, the, you know, we are exposed to more sexual stuff than we ever have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in the last probably mm-hmm. 30 years, yeah. um, you know, with the, the internet and then the, yeah, the, the ease at which we have access to um, to 
pixelized images that mm-hmm. is greater than ever before. And now that has kind of become integrated into social media. So I remember that Facebook, when it first came out, like it was only open to college students. Oh, really? Yeah. on Facebook when it first came out <laughs> and and then it kind of expanded to everybody can can be on Facebook mm-hmm. and then and well and my MySpace in there as well but it there's kind of been this this overlap and integration of secularization and how we interact with each other socially mm-hmm. that you know if I want to scroll through Instagram or something because I want to with my friends or want to know about how their life is going on mm-hmm. you know the, the average person will be scrolling through and they will see you know sexualized content mm-hmm. and, and it might be like pretty normal yeah. like you know somebody wearing something kind of suggestive mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of this invitation to go down this rabbit trail mm-hmm. and I think those invitations have become That used to be like you had to like purposely go seek this material out, yeah. and now it's like, hey, every once in a while, if you feel like pop up on your feed, yeah. it's like, hey, temptation. Every once in a while, hey, temptation. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like sitting down at a computer and going through, you know, scrolling and getting everything that's specifically speaking about. Yeah, that aren't very sensitive to what what we live. Yeah, I, f- I feel like it's becoming like not just easier, but like it's. I guess in a way, if I can say this thus, like, worse and worse, like, it's seeped into more different areas of, I guess, what we view, like, it's almost like, I don't know, kind of the opposite, in the opposite sense, what I find funny is, like, I'll watch, like, old cartoon Mm -hmm. movies, Mm -hmm. like, Shrek, or, um, and then, like, ones, like, that are out, like, now, and I'm, like, it's kind of funny how sometimes, like, stuff, like, in the past, maybe not, like, sexually will be, like, okay, and, like, mm-hmm. it'll be, like, adult jokes or whatever, but, like, yeah. now it's, like, more straight. Mm-hmm. But in a sense, it's, like, <clears throat> I mean, like, I guess an example is, like, the Super Bowl where, you know, the halftime show sometimes will be very promiscuous, and oh, yeah. I'm guessing, like, it's yeah. gotten worse, because I don't really watch yeah. television. Yeah, halftime's gotten I mean, half of it was I watched for the commercials. Yeah. And half of it was I watched because, you know, people were getting together and there's yeah. chicken wings. Yeah. And that's, that was, like, the highlight for me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, just thinking about the, like, the halftime show in particular, it's like, yeah, it is kind of weird. It, like, it used to be, like, like oh, this is, like, a cool band. Fun, and they're, yeah. they're playing music mm-hmm. and, like, there's fireworks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, man, these people are, like, grinding on each other. Well, I don't know if you can say that on the podcast, but no, no, you're that's, that's what's happening on the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, yeah, th- yeah, there definitely has been kind of this sexualization. Less, less censoring, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, if, if you, uh, was it the Grammys this year? Um, where, yeah, it was like dressed up as, as Satan, and he's like wearing a thong or something, and like all these demons are like rubbing him sexually, and you're like, wow, this is like at the Grammys, like this is a like going out on like normal TV. Yeah. And you're like, oh, if you 
go back 50 years, people would be freaking out over that. So yeah, there's definitely been um, a sexualization of culture, or at least more overt about it when it's more acceptable to people, so. Yeah. And it makes you think kind of how, like, we're talking in class with, like, gender dysphoria and transgenderism Mm -hmm. and homosexuality and how it's kind of, in in a sense that I'm seeing as being more pushed, Mm -hmm. like, for therapists that we talked about to seek out that gender dysphoria and, you know, like, just the sexualization, like, seek out your sexuality if you're confused about it, but Mm -hmm. it's like, that's not, like, kids, like, like, even in class today, I was thinking, like, kids are so fluid with everything. Like, with the toys, with what they like, like, one day, like, we watched that video, that guy said one day they want to be a cowboy, (laughs) one day they want to be an astronaut, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how much, and then people are telling them, you know, like, Yeah, it, 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 it feels like there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions happening, um, in, in terms of, oh, I, I saw my son do this, so, mm-hmm. you know, he, he must be, you know, trans or something. Yeah. And so there's, like, this hypersensitivity to things that we used to just be like, man, they're just, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Like, you know, like, my youngest, he's three and now four. And, you know, the, the other day he, he found, like, a little, you know, stretchy pearl necklace mm-hmm. that, that my wife had. And he put it on. And, you know, I joked with my family, and my son sent us a picture of it. And I was like, oh, we're signing him up for surgery. Um, because that, that that seems to be, you know, the, the reaction, the, this knee-jerk thing. And I, it's almost, you know, we're, we're looking for something to be different in our kids. Yeah. And as soon as there's any hint of, of some, some kind of glimmer of that, mm-hmm. they jump onto it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of why I brought up the, the idea of Munchausen by proxy today in class, where I mean, it's not so much for kids, but you know, what what need is it? Is it the parent telling the need yeah. that they get almost excited that their, their kid yeah. you know, is, is presenting atypically? I mean, I think what you said about culture is really true, too. Like, kind of like, there's definitely a reason why some states there's literally like very low percentages mm-hmm. of this happening and some are like huge because mm-hmm. our environment really does shape us like i would say i mean in my opinion very high like not maybe not 99 percent, but a very high percentage of like what makes us mm-hmm. so yeah um do you believe the church could be doing a better job when it comes to sexual education and even addressing homosexuality and then do you want the follow-up question or afterwards? Okay. I want to give you the follow-up, and we'll, we'll see. Okay. Do you think how the church currently addresses homosexuality has repelled Christians who have same-sex attractions that do not make a change? Like, you know, yeah. same-sex att- attracted Christians who have realized, oh, I'm same-sex attracted, but I don't understand it because I'm not a Christian. I drive myself like a Christian. Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like the church has kind of repelled them from a place better where they talk about it and address it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think we can do a better job in the church um, in terms of like actually addressing these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, that we we need to kind of take them out of this realm of being taboo mm-hmm. and talk about them. 
they're, they're important. Mm-hmm. We're, we're sexual beings. Mm-hmm. You know, God made sex. There's nothing wrong with sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be kind of distorted and twisted. You know, it's, it's the same thing of I don't want to talk to my kids about sex because they'll learn it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be good to have that approach to the church, too. If, if we don't um, present a holy view of sex and a appropriate view of sex, then people are going to get that view from somewhere. Mm-hmm. From the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's as- that aspect of it. And and so we, we need to talk about it. And I think how we talk about it is really important. And uh, yeah, we, we talk about it with our class. Um, it's, it's important that we separate um, a person's identity from a person's behavior. And we, we tend to do a good job with that on most things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in, in the church we recognize, okay, you know, we sing and, you know, we still love you. Um, but we, we really struggle with the idea of it, when that comes through homosexuality. Um, and, and then it's not, not sexually related within mm-hmm. the church, but that would be like atypical. Um, in terms of separating out behavior from uh, temptations, yeah, like like we don't um, push people out of the church because they are they, because they have lustful thoughts, right? If you have a typical typical heterosexual person, they're going to have lustful thoughts, but we don't um, push them out of the the church for that. If, if they are acting on that sin and they are you know, watching pornography or they're having sex outside of marriage or anything like that, then that would be something we would talk about in the church. But I don't think we do a very good job separating that out when it comes to like homosexual mm-hmm. ideas and lusts and inclinations from their behavior. Yeah. Or even going down that path. Because, like, mm-hmm. from personal experience, the only thing I've ever heard in it, all the churches that I've ever been to, which, like, that I've become, I've been a member of, are very few that just that, oh, homo- do you know homosexuality is a sin? And then, mm-hmm. just, like, nothing. Nothing else. Yeah. That's it. You know, for somebody who's struggling with that, knows nothing about it, you know, probably didn't have any sex education in their home from their parents, is mm-hmm. probably saying, you're like, Ah, I struggle with this. I mm-hmm. feel like if I stay here, I will go to hell. Just you know, like that kind right. of those thoughts. And yeah, it's scary for those people. Yeah, because they're they're connecting. Well, when you say homosexuality is a sin, what does that mean? Yeah, like is it is it the behavior is a sin or having homosexual urges is a sin? Because we have urges with any other sin. Oh we yeah, have urges to lie. I mean, yeah. cheat. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, we we have all types of urges, um, and yeah, we, we experience temptation every day. Um, but yeah, when the when the church throws out a blanket statement like homosexuality is gay or homosexuality <laughs> is wrong, yeah, and and that is interpreted by somebody who is homosexual as I am wrong, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Yeah. It, you know, it's the, it's the same issue as, you know, shame and, and guilt. Yeah. That 
guilt is good, but you know, when I do something bad, I feel bad. Mm-hmm. So shame is when I do something bad, I believe I'm bad. Yeah. And it's important that we're really careful with our words, especially in the church, that we don't push out people who are guilty. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's we're part of the church of guilt. It's exactly. guilty people. Yep. And it kind of goes back to like what we talked about with, you know, people intrinsically, but also culture has pushed for people to make their sexuality be our identity. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how we talked about, I think it was in, in Yuan's book, <coughs> it was one of the yeah. books, like how like people definitely have been doing that, have a tendency to do that, and in turn, when that is said in the church, it's like, well, I'm bad, I'm horrible, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, all those things. And I can't imagine how that must feel. And like, you know, like in the video we watched, the I can't remember his name, but one like that doctor was like, I kind of don't blame. In a sense, I don't blame the people mm-hmm. that leave. It's like, yeah, I'm more know? surprised by the people that stay. Like, right? why, oh my gosh, why are you staying in this church? Like, that's like it's impressive. Perseverance. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, but it's rare. Mm-hmm. And I got to thinking this is like this week, or I just got to the more conversations I've had about this, the more I like think about it, and I'm like, how often have we kind of labeled or had had this kind of um, judgment on people who, like on the outside, may present their sin, mm-hmm. like for typical Christians who maybe see like a transgender person and have this like quick judgment mm-hmm. and see that sin, it's like okay, let's imagine that we saw everyone's sin on top of their heads. Mm-hmm. How would, like, would you be the same? Like, mm-hmm. don't you think you would be judgy of every single person? Mm-hmm. Or are we called to see that person first and to see how, at first, above everything else, God is going to be like, God loves, mm-hmm. you know? Preach it. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. <laughs> I just, I don't know, when I thought about it, I was like, that's kind of crazy. I don't know how that popped in my head, but I'm really glad I thought it. Because mm-hmm. even I used to be that kind of person. Mm-hmm. When we read a book in my theology and culture class about transgenderism, and it was like four different views from like most conservative to most mm-hmm. liberal. And after reading that book, I was like, how often? Like, I truly haven't seen like transgender people as like people first. I've kind of mm-hmm. just labeled, oh, they're transgender people. It's like, no, like, they're people. Like, a lot of them that I don't even realize can be or are Christians or are struggling with this. Maybe, you know, they're questioning in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of factors behind it. And yeah, it's a great point because it, it kind of brings us full circle of, you know, how working this profession, you, you develop empathy mm-hmm. for people. Um, that, yeah, if if your life had been different, it would have turned out like that person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I tell this story in class because one of, w- one of my favorite things to do is, you know, I'd, I'd get called into a school smoking pot in the bathroom or mm-hmm. something and you know I'd, I'd tell the, the counselor or the principal you know I'm not really worried about the, the pot smoking I'm worried about why it's happening mm-hmm. and to develop empathy of you know if you if you had you know Johnny I'm Johnny if you had Johnny's life and went through the things he has not have the coping skills that you have, mm-hmm. you would be smoking so much pot. Like, you'd be high yeah. all the time. <laughs> and and Johnny's doing it because Johnny's not in a good spot. Yeah. It's like you'd be numbing the pain, too. Yeah. 
and and it, I think it's the same thing for um, sexual stuff that you know we there there is kind of this nature and nurture piece, but mm-hmm. gosh, if 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 you had been um, sexually molested at at that age and and had the same experiences that you know Susie did, mm-hmm. you'd you'd turn out the same way Susie has turned out, and you know you don't want to. Condemn Susie. Mm-hmm. You don't want to condone the behavior, yeah. but you can certainly see where she's coming from yeah. and see that you know. Uh, you know, I'm very, very, but by the grace of God, go I. Mm-hmm. Right, and I thank God that you know I haven't had to go through those horrible experiences. Yeah, um, but Susie has, and Johnny has, and it's important that you know we see them individuals who are doing the best they can with what they have yeah and i feel like we'd have a better view just like a better view of people and more empathy if we just like the verse that always pops in my head when it comes to this like like empathy and this topic and us seeing ourselves as sinners all the time is mm-hmm. it's in first and second peter and he's talking about you know we are the like we're all sinners of which i am the worst yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I love that verse, and I like thinking it to myself because I'm like, I should think of myself as like the worst sinner, not in a sense where I'm like putting myself down, but mm-hmm. I continually humble myself, and I see I should like think to myself, if I hear somebody's story or like someone's coming to me with something, I'm like, I should not be condemning them. Like that's yeah, not it helps my... with the judgment piece exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I really like focusing on that. Mm-hmm. So. I guess the last thing is if you could um, only tell the whole world one thing about biblical sexuality, what would that be? One thing. Could be a really long thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that um, the Bible doesn't put problems. Yeah, um, and God invented sex. Like He made man and woman. He He knows how those parts work. Yeah, and how they get put together. And He said it was good. And so that there's nothing wrong with sex. And just like everything else in creation, there is a fall. And the flip side to that is things disordered and out of whack and twisted mm-hmm. um, so I think yeah if I had to choose one thing it would be like sex as intended in the Bible mm-hmm. um, and it's important that we don't push it to the side and stop it yeah it's, I feel like unless we have this idea of that the Bible doesn't talk about sex or people's stance is like sex is bad or they're just like no like god created sex and it's good he's just given us boundaries for it mm-hmm. yeah and i feel like a lot of people just don't know that yeah it's they use the same thing with fire fire is great yeah like it's within the right boundaries but mm-hmm. gosh if you have a fire in you know the wrong part of your house and if it gets out of the fireplace Awesome. Well, thank you for coming. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. It's fun. Awesome.